Take your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We are going to take another little swipe at 1 Thessalonians tonight. And we've been making our way through. We had uh, taken it verse by verse for quite a while. I decided to give you a break for a couple Sundays, but we're back at it. One more verse tonight. 1 Thessalonians 5.20. It's a very simple verse. I'll let you get there. 1 Thessalonians 5.20. All of three words. Despise, not prophesying. Despise, not prophesying. We've already gone through this whole book. Thessalonica, a book, a, a church that had the power of God, a church that exercised great testimony. They were in a very strategic place, and they used that for God's glory. They dealt with some internal problems, but they, had, they were a church that had their eyes on the coming of Jesus. And that really helps them. You know, I've had several people in these last six months, and they say, Pastor Butts, it sure likes Jesus. Jesus could come at any moment. Boy, and boy, the warm-up's here. I mean, with the saints, all it takes is the rapture of the church, and man, we're in the tribulation. I mean, people just saying lots of different things. It isn't long. And it sure appears that way, doesn't it, that our Lord is ready to come back. A second coming church, a church that's ready for Christ to come, as we came into that fifth chapter, a whole series of things that were dealt with all the way from how that we should uh, respond to the leadership in the church. We should make sure that we treat each other right from the, from the feeble-minded to those that are un, unruly in spirit that we uh, are to encourage them. And then we're to rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. And then three weeks ago, quench not the spirit. And don't, don't let the Holy Spirit's conviction be pressed down. It's a wonderful thing when God speaks to us through his Holy Spirit. And today, as we have prayed, different ones have said, Pastor, we just need to pray for the Holy Ghost to come upon our church as, as you preach and as we sing. Let the Holy Spirit, and when he does, let's don't quench him. Holy Spirit, fall upon our church service. And when he does, we throw a pail of water in his face. That's about the way it is when we won't respond to him. So we've dealt with all that, and now we come to despise not prophesying. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray tonight that as we look at this simple three words, that they would be an encouragement to us about the preaching, the prophesying that goes forward from this pulpit and from all the pulpits across the world, across America, across Texas. And that, Father, as we hear the Word of God being proclaimed, that our heart would receive it as it is from you that you're speaking directly in our ear, into our hearts, and you're trying to talk to us. Help us, Lord, to treat it that way. I need your help tonight as I preach. Uh, Lord, um, be with us tonight. Help me in Christ's name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Very good. The word despise is one that we've uh, come across before uh, in, the, in the Bible. Despise here is the I word that I have contempt for it. You know, some people, when, when somebody says, we're going to have some message, oh, boy, he's going to preach again. i got to preach. You just hear the word, they're going to preach. There's contempt in their voice, contempt in their mind. You know, that, I can understand that for the unsaved, but I don't understand it for the saved. You know, the vessel, the, the, the preacher, the one who preaches isn't always the most beautiful, the most eloquent, uh, but it's the word of God. When the Word of God is preached, we honor the Word of God being preached. We should say, thank you, God, that you sent a vessel. 
I wonder how we would have responded to John the Baptist preaching. He was pretty rough and rude. He was right out of the wilderness and he wore, you know, goat skin and he ate locusts and honey and he sort of a rough old nut. I don't know how else to put it. And he came along and he preached the word of God. And we watched, ah, that's old John preaching again. That old just preaching the word. And yet we don't despise the preacher. Uh, we just... We don't despise the message. Maybe the vessel isn't always as beautiful as it should be. Despise not. Don't allow yourself to get in a point where that you be little and you and disrespect the word of God being preached. Whenever the word of God is preached, open up your mind. Sit up straight. This morning in the morning service, just think back. If you were here this morning, we started in a few teenagers, newer teenagers, just sort of slumped over in their seat, went like this before I had a chance to even bore them, I said this morning. That it was a sense of despising the preaching. They just shut it down. They weren't going to listen. You know, it isn't only teenagers that do that. There was a man in my home church, a good old man. He, he was a hardworking man. I could call his name. I, he, he, just a faithful old man, came to church. He always sat about the same place back there with his wife. He was a big old guy from, from uh, somewhere in uh, Europe, in the mid-European states, and his wife about this big, and he was a huge, big old guy. As soon as the preacher would open up the Bible, his head would drift down, and pretty soon, I mean, you could just count on it by about the time the second passage the pastor called. In a sense, you know what, that's a habit. And I, I, I look back and I respect that man. He had his family there. He, a lot of good things he was doing, but he should have taken care of that in his life. When I was in Bible college, I didn't want to miss anything, and you know, I developed a habit to stay awake in some boring professor's classes. One thing that I used to do is uh, this one teacher was so boring, but I would take my foot and raise it up, and when he would preach and I wanted to fall asleep, my foot would fall and wake me up, and I just wouldn't fall asleep that way. Uh, you, you know, you do what you want to do. I mean, you, you stay awake. Some, I see some men, the, the wife's going, <clears throat> You know, keep, keep them awake. Why is it it's never the men doing that to the wives? Oh, well, that's another thing. Anyhow, it's uh, keep, keeping awake and despising, thinking it little. It's not a big value. Let me tell you another, another area I've seen. There are people, and this is really difficult for a preacher. I get up and announce the subject. Let's just say I got up and preached. I was going to preach on something evangelistic tonight. Tonight, I'd like to tell you how, how to get saved. And you think, oh, boy, I've heard that 500 times. And literally, when we would say, okay, now let's pray, there are people that slip out of the service while I'm praying. Can you imagine that? The subject announced did not suit their fancy, and then get up and walk out. Oh, they knew it reverently, quietly, sneakily. But I can tell you, I can name people in the last 40 years, that's a routine in their life. They come and they think, do I want to hear this message? Oh, it's not the one I chose. I'm slipping out. That's despising the preaching, despising the prophesying. You know, God brings on the pastor's heart. And I could tell you, you could talk to different pastors. You struggle with what to preach on. You want to make sure that it's what the Holy Spirit wants and, and you struggle to make sure it's prepared well and, and all the rest. And there are times that when God brings you to something, you think, again? That's what you're thinking as the preacher. 
And yet God is saying yes again, line upon line, precept upon precept. And God knows if there's somebody there that's unsaved or somebody's got that dirty, rotten sin or somebody just needs to have their devotions. And you say, not again, and we turn it off. Listen, we need to be careful not to despise the preaching of the Word of God. Um, you know, God sends preachers. So let me go through some points tonight about this. Number one, God sends the preacher. God puts a pastor in a pulpit. He brings, you know, he, he uh, works it out. It doesn't always have to be Pastor Butts. Tonight it could be Pastor Eric. We could be really desperate. And it might be um, Brother Tenglao had to get stuck up here preaching tonight. Where are you at, Patrick? He slipped out, I think, with Eric. There you are. Can you imagine? I don't feel well, Patrick. Can you take over? He's going, oh, you, uh, 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 Jez, could you come and bring that devotional you brought to the teenager Saturday? You know. But you know, God orchestrates who he wants in a pulpit. And he brings the prophet, he brings the preachers. And in all generations, it's interesting to see how the country of Israel and even the Gentile nations treated the prophets of God. The Bible says generally they stoned him and killed him. And as they rejected God's prophets, they eventually rejected the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And, you know, it's not much different. We're on the other side of the cross, and God brings the preachers to preach salvation and edification and all the different things to his people and to the unsaved. And we've got to be careful that we do not despise the preaching of the word when it comes together. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, you've heard this verse in Proverbs 28, it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Now, often... Pastors, and there is room for this, they'll say, where there is no vision for the lost souls, and they'll preach a whole message on that, and that's in there. But do you know a more appropriate interpretation of that passage? Where there is no heavenly preaching, where there is no vision given to the man of God, where there is no open preaching of the word, where there is no vision being preached, the people perish. Do you know what? Without a good preacher and a good message, the church just goes to sleep gets off track. The pastor, the, the evangelist, the, the one that God brings into the pulpit, he brings it to, to get that church honed and, and um, pointed and, and the arrow aimed right in the right direction and reminds us and encourages us and stirs our heart. And so we find where there is no vision, the people perish. Turn to Romans chapter 10 for a moment, please. We're going to look at several scriptures. Romans chapter 10. Here we have the end of the plan of salvation. And in Romans chapter 10, we, we rejoice in verse 13. Most of us could quote 13 without any trouble at all. Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But let's go on. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? You see, the message has to be heard in order to be believed. And after it's been believed, then it produces an action of calling. Look at verse 15. How, how, how they shall, and they shall say, uh, and how shall they preach except they be sent? It is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring good tidings of great things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? In other words, Isaiah, we preached. And who believed? Who took heed? Who did not 
not despise the preaching. Who believed our report? For Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by and hearing by the word of God. And so it's not uh, just the preaching, it's the hearing of the preaching. It's the responding to the preaching that makes the difference. So you say, Pastor Butts, you're up there laboring and you're up there preaching. It's all on you. Can I say to you, I'm only one half of the equation. You're the other half. I sure saw this when we were had COVID and that first month we were completely shut down and the chairs were empty. I tell you, I said this already. I haven't had one of these chairs raise their hand yet. It's not the chairs. It's not, it's not this building. It's not the act of preaching. It's the response of the people to the preaching that makes all the difference in the world. That's the despising of the preaching when we don't respond like we should. Turn to 1 Timothy, please. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Talking about the preaching tonight. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 17. Don't despise it. Verse 7. God sends the preacher... Where there is no vision, the people perish. And God sends them with the message of salvation. 1 Timothy 2.7, whereunto, this is Paul saying, I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and I lie not. I'm a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in verity. Or that's truth. Paul said, I was ordained of God. But one of the neatest things a church does is ordains a preacher. Young man gets called or somebody gets called. The hand of God's obviously on them. Their life backs it up. They've got training. Now it's time to send them out from Westside Baptist Church and we examine them and we talk to them and we preach and exhort them and lay a message and then we put our hands on them. and We say, God, take this young man and help him. And Paul says, I have been ordained God to preach. God sends the preacher. God ordains the preacher. Listen, this is a God-ordained position in the church, is the preaching of the Word of God. It's not just something Pastor Butts or Pastor So or Evangelist So-and-So wants to drum up an audience and he wants to practice his his storytelling and and his ability to uh, convince people. This is a Holy Spirit-called man with a Holy Spirit-given message and Holy Spirit-impact on people's lives. It's the work of God. And we need to treat it like that and not despise it. We need to elevate it like it is. This is God's work. God's work. And we come to the preaching of the Word of God. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is the resurrection chapter. Bring it out where we emphasize this on Easter, don't we? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, is that chapter is just lifting off. Paul's talking how, how the Lord Jesus was revealed and he's been called to be a preacher. I want you to start in, in verse 9, 15, 9. For I am the least of the apostles. This is Paul's talking about his, his ability to preach and he's the last one in the world you'd think that would be called. I am the least of the apostles. And I am not meet or fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach. 
And so ye believed. Isn't that wonderful? Here's the last person. Paul the Apostle? Becoming a preacher, the greatest preacher of the whole New Testament. He's the guy that killed people. He stood there and watched Stephen, the first martyr, be stoned. Not him. And yet, I'm the least and the last one. And God called me to show by his grace that he could preach and that people, when they would hear that message, they would be saved. Oh, God calls the preacher. And God says, listen, when a preacher preaches, it's very important. And you go on in verse 12. Now, if Christ be preached, that he rose from the dead, how say some of you that there is no resurrection of the dead? And he launches into a sermon, doesn't he? He said, I'm here to tell you, Jesus rose again, and I'm here to proclaim his grace. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verse 4. Here we find the nature of preaching. We looked at God sends the preacher. Now we're going to look at the, what is preaching like? What is preaching supposed to be like? It's supposed to be a little different than other things. Not just teaching, not just telling my side of things. It's God's exhortation. And so in verse 4, 2-4, and my speech, and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but understood it was in demonstration of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, and of power. That's the kind of preaching that moves mountains. You see, my preaching, let's just take it apart here a little bit. He said, my preaching was not, oh, look at it, he's got a silver tongue. Oh, he's the greatest uh, expositor I've ever heard in my whole life. He can paint pictures with his words. Oh, I tell you what, I could listen to him till 3 o'clock in the morning. But I wish people felt that way about my preaching. Okay. I, I just love to hear. He said, my preaching was not in the demonstration of all this uh, acrobatics with my words. But mine was a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon a man and his message and going in the ears of people and lives are changed. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. You know, people, we ought to pray God will give us, give your pastor, give the people that stand in this pulpit that kind of a demonstration that the Holy Spirit is here in this auditorium through this preacher working in our lives. God's people said, amen. Demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And always we like the word power. It could be two words. It could be authority or dynamite. This is the word dynamite. It's the demonstration of the Holy Spirit and that dynamic power that can break the hardest heart. Amen? Isn't it amazing when you see people never dream they would respond and when the word of God breaks that old crusty heart, they'll come down to the altar in tears broken before God. That's the demonstration of the power of God in the preaching. And so people, let's don't despise God's preaching. Uh, it's the power of God that falls upon us when we preach. Turn with me, if you will, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look a little further. Look at verse 14. We're going to see natural man's response to preaching. I bring my, uh, I bring my unsaved friend to hear the message. What do they think of the preaching? And, uh, and don't expect them to respond like a saved person, because they won't. 
1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, but the natural, unsaved man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So what do we learn here? We learn, first of all, that the natural man will not receive a godly message. Boy, a preacher gets up here and starts eloquently preaching away on the blood of Christ and the natural man. Conviction sets in. And we know what conviction's like. First, uh, John tells us it's like light and darkness. You can't have both existing together. And so when preaching, the light of the Word of God comes in the darkness of the sinner's heart. There's a, there's a battle. There's a resistance. He does not want to receive. As a matter of fact, in his mind, he says, he's getting up there and saying, by a guy that's hanging on the cross, and they, they bloodied him up, stuck a spear in his side, put a crown on his sword, and they threw him in a grave, and that guy's supposed to save all the people in the whole world for all eternity. And that's a bunch of foolishness to me. That's how they look at it. So the unsaved person says, I don't want to receive it. It's foolishness. And then it says a little further, he cannot know this. You try to go and, and tell him the things of the Spirit of God, but he can't understand. And I can tell you as a pastor over the years, there are people that have come under the preaching of the Word of God, and you preach, and they come to you afterwards, and they say, how did you get that out of that? I just don't ever see how. Boy, you're just so smart. You get so much. And then they get saved. Then all of a sudden, your spiritual eyes are open. I grew up on a farm, but how many of you have ever had, kitten, had kittens around the house? They were born, and they're born, you know, the first, what, 10, 14 days, their eyes are closed. You know why God does that, so they don't go away from mama. And they have to stay close until they learn to nurse and they need mama, because cats are just nasty. I mean, they just don't go all over the place. If you're a cat lover, don't get around me, all right? So the, the, uh, these little cats come right up there, and they... Uh, I'm not against cats. I'm just having fun, okay? Some of you, I, I got some daggers in my eyes up here, okay? All right. But those cats are blind for a couple weeks. And then it's neat to watch it when their eyes open. They don't all open exactly at the same moment, but within two or three days, they all open. And you know what instantly happens? Those cats begin to wander around. Now they can see. But up till that point, their little world is right there like that. Do you know... When we get, before we're saved, we're sort of like those cats, maybe born in this world, we have a body, we can walk and talk and see, but we can't understand. We just can't see. And when we accept Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in our, uh, our life. Bing! Our eyes pop open. The natural man cannot receive the things and because they are spiritually discerned. So when you bring somebody to an evangelistic message or you come to hear Pastor Butts or you, you bring them to the Christmas cantata and the message is really strong and somebody stands up and preaches and applies the word of God, don't be surprised if they walk away and they shake their heads and there's a, there's a battle goes on. This is to be expected for they are spiritually discerned. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 for just a moment, uh, just a chapter back. Look at verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize but to preach the gospel. I like that verse when somebody's saying, can baptism save you? That verse shows you they're not the same thing. Amen? He didn't send me to baptize. He sent me to preach the gospel. The good news of Christ died, was buried, rose again for your sins. You need to receive him as your Savior. Not to uh, baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with words of wisdom, 
lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. He said, I'm not here to spin this real eloquent yarn and, and just get you all like a gooey trap and you just put your fingers in and you're stuck and now you're a Christian. I take the cross and lay it out there and say, Jesus died for you and you're a dirty, rotten sinner. Without it, you're going to die and go to hell and you need to accept him as your personal savior. I mean, that's just straight, isn't it? And so he says, I preach the cross. Verse 18 for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish, there it is again, what? Foolishness. But unto us which are saved, is that you? Are you saved? Say, but unto us that are saved, we see it as the what? The power of God. Go ahead, Pastor Butts. Amen. That's what saved my soul. I want to hear it again. Amen. Go on in verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? This preaching is flying in the face of humanistic reasoning. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. Underline that. That's how the world views it. God's going to save them by the foolishness of the preaching of the gospel message to save them that believe. The Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. But we what? Preach. We preach what? We preach Christ. Crucified unto the Jews, a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks, it's a bunch of foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ understood is the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God, that's that preaching, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God, that's that wisdom preaching, is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty men, uh, not many noble are called but God hath chosen the foolish preachers of this world to confound the wise. I've just sort of said that thing, the foolish things. See, it's not the vessel. It's not the person. God, matter of fact, often takes the least likely to do the amazing to bring down the wisest guy in the whole world. Isn't that neat? It's the preaching of the cross. And God hath chosen the weak things, the world, confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught, things that are, that why. The last three verses give the same answer, that no flesh should glory in his presence. It wasn't Pastor Butts. It wasn't Pastor Eric. It wasn't Pastor Stephen. It wasn't evangelist so-and-so. It was Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the message of salvation that saved and transformed our lives. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom. He has made our righteousness. He has made our sanctification. He's made our redemption. That according as it is written, he that glorieth don't let him glory in the preacher. Let him glory in the Lord. 
This is how preaching works. So we see the natural man doesn't understand this whole process, the preaching. There's a rejection of it. But when God uses that power and there's a demonstration of it, it breaks that hard heart. Even the most wicked, powerful person in the world cannot resist the preaching of the word of God. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, please. So we've seen the natural response. So how does preaching actually work then? 2 Timothy chapter 4. I charge thee, verse 1, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick, that's the living, and the dead at his appearing, his kingdom. I charge thee, verse 2, to do what? Oh, you were supposed to help me. We're charged to do what? Preach the word. You know, when I, whenever I see the word preach, I can't say it lightly. Preach the word. Yeah, how can you say preach? Preaches. Preach! Yeah. Preach the word! By the way, you notice it doesn't say preach all by itself either, did it? Preach what? The word. That's right. By the way, all the days of your life, as long as you're a member at Westside Baptist Church, you demand whoever's behind this pulpit to preach the word, not his opinion. Amen. Amen. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. And here's how it works. Reprove. Rebuke. Exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. That's it. So when the preacher gets up, do those sound like comforting words to you? Can I say them again? Do they sound like, oh, now I lay me down to sleep words? Reprove. Rebuke. Exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Those are pretty strong words. Would you not agree with me? And this is how preaching works. It gets under your skin. It steps under your toe. On your toe. It strips away the varnish from the saw. It gets the hard heart soaking in water. Amen. It reproves it. It rebukes it, and then it exhorts it with all long suffering. And that long suffering means that's my liberty. I can preach for a long time. That's long. I, I preach long. You suffer. Some of you wake up tonight, all right? Okay. Preach with all long suffering and doctrine. Boy, what's doctrine? Doctrine is being consistent in what we believe. It's all organized. We take the word of God. We let it systematically teach us about the blood, about the deity, about the, uh, the deity of Christ, about his virgin birth, about the authority of the inspiration of the scripture. It's all the doctrine of the word of God. We could just list them all out. Look at verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. So what kind of preachers do they want? They want somebody that will itch their ears. And Every time I do this, I have so many comments afterwards, but I can't help but think of a dog when I think of itching ears. Have you ever had a dog that when you itch behind its ears, it would just all, all of a sudden go crazy. You turn over, you start itching on its belly in some place, and the dog's going, oh, come on. And you try to stop itching in that spot, and it's going, and just moves over and keeps crowding on you until you itch. You ever, you ever had a dog around your like that? There's what some people want when they preach you. Oh, come on, come on, come on. Tell us what we want to hear. We don't want to hear that rebuke and exhorting stuff. Come on, come on. Just, just give us some sweet stuff. Tell us some jokes. Tell us some stories. Tell, tell, let's have an entertainment time. Amen. Time to go home. We've had uh, 45 minutes of entertainment. That's not preaching. 
It's not the preaching of the Word of God. But the time will come that they'll heap to themselves teachers. They have itching ears. They want to be itched. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and they shall be turned to fables. But watch thou. Here's the warning to the preacher boy, Timothy. Watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of evangelists. What should be in our messages? Evangelism. There should always be the mention that Jesus is the Savior. There should be a call to Christ as our Savior. Every chance, do the work of an evangelist, he tells this young preacher. And then he says, make full proof of thy ministry. He says, go at it with all your heart. That's what full proof means. Preach the whole thing. Preach the whole counsel of God. Listen, you find a preacher like that, you get underneath him, you're thankful for him, and you... And, and So this is how it works. The, the preacher preaches... And as he preaches, he reproves, he exhorts. There are seven things I just wrote down here that we often think. If you're, if you're marketing notes, I wrote seven E's of preaching. Seven E's of preaching. Number one, good preaching has evangelism. You go away from good preaching regularly, you're going to know how to get saved. It, you know what's sad to me? There'll be people in Baptist churches that have been there for years, and they never really heard how to get saved for sure. What an awful thing. That's not good preaching. Number two, good preaching edifies. It's good for edification. What's that mean? It builds you up. You go, I say, huh, I learned something tonight. Boy, I put some bricks in my building tonight. I, I walked away, and I got stronger. I, I put some mortar between the bricks. Oh, that funny kid. Oh, I see. I've just put this verse with this. Oh, wow, I've been edified tonight. So good preaching edifies. Number three, good preaching exhorts. Exhortation. What's exhortation? It's a call to action. That's the invitation. But one of the things I first learned when I first started preaching, you preach to a point. I mean, you preach to a goal. You know before you start where you're going and where you're heading, where you want everybody that will go with you to go. Amen? So you preach and you exhort and we're going to love Jesus and we're going to see people saved and we're going to live holy lives and we're going to read our Bible and we're, we're going to love preaching. Tonight would be one of our goals. We're, we're exhorting us that when the Word of God is preached, we lean into it. Amen? We exhort the people to a goal. A call, it's a call to action. Number four, good preaching causes examination. In other words, I look over my life and I say, you know what, I'm falling short of what that preacher is preaching. And I just went down through, and you know, ladies, I, I know often uh, when they get a little older, they're told to do some self-examination of their breast and different things to see if there's cancer, and they're supposed to go through, and they're supposed to do it regularly and all that kind of stuff. Well, preaching sort of like that with sin and all kinds of stuff. When there's preaching, it causes you to look inward. And you examine yourself. Am I where that says? And I look at my heart and I have to admit, I'm falling short. Or that is God calling me to that action in my life. And so there's an examination. Good preaching, number five, brings elimination. Elimination. In other words, causes me to repent. Good preaching says, get rid of the cigarettes. <laughs> get rid of the dope. Get rid of the drinking. Get rid of the lying. Get rid of the pornography. Good preaching says, eliminate some stuff out of your life. 
And I don't know about you, but I, in 1 John, it's so true. If a man says he has no sin, he is a liar and the truth is not in him. There is no one of us every week that needs to examine ourselves like a man would stand before a mirror and just get himself cleaned up. And the preacher just goes right down through the traces. And as he does, that mirror says, oh my goodness, I got marks all over me. And I got to wash up. So there brings an elimination. Number six, good preaching brings an elevation. It elevates the truth. In our day and age, there is such an obfuscation of the truth. Amen. What is truth anymore? Right is wrong and wrong is right and political correctness and every kind of thing that's out there. And good preaching says, this is the word of God and thus saith the word of God and it hasn't changed since eternity past and it won't change for eternity in the future. It's God's truth and it elevates the truth of the word of God. And we hold it up there. The last E, good preaching exalts. Exalts Christ. It exalts God. It exalts the truth. It holds up Jesus Christ. And I tell you what, in our generation, we have so many people, everybody knows the name of Jesus. It's just which way they use his name. I use it at the name at the end of my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Other people start a lot of sentences with it. They're not exalting his name. They're stomping all over it. Good preaching exalts God, exalts the truth of the word of God, exalts the Savior, exalts all that, that is there that is healthy and good. So how does preaching work? It reproves and it rebukes and exhorts and has a lot, lot of things that it does. Tonight we would end with this last point, some warnings about preaching. Some warnings about preaching. Number one, if you're not careful, you could view good preaching as foolishness. Be careful before you disagree with the preacher. Go home and study your Bible like they did at Berea. But if you got a good man, he's preaching the Word of God and is stomping on your feet, just don't shut down. Don't let your heart as a Christian view preaching as foolish. Number two, my life verse for preaching is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. And my mind just went blank. But I bring my body under and put it in subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Um, be careful about following preachers that don't live what they preach. Did I say preachers are going to be perfect? If I implied that, please forgive me because you wouldn't be able to listen to a word I say because I am not perfect. Just ask my wife. Okay, She could tell you for sure, okay? But there's a difference between a normal sinner and a preacher that's a fat hypocrite. Amen. These two different things. He's one thing in the pulpit. He's one thing out of the pulpit. Be careful that you find yourself under a man that lives what he preaches. It's important. Number three, Hebrews 4.12. It says that the preaching of the word did not profit them because it was not mixed with one five-letter word, faith. In good preaching that God brings into your life, and that message is laid out there, 
probably almost every time you hear some really good preaching, there's going to be an element you have to mix it with faith. That's the day we got saved. We had to mix it with faith. And it's no different all the days of your life as you say, you know, Lord, I need to read my Bible. By faith, I can do that. Lord, I need to get rid of that garbage on my By faith, I can do that. Be careful that preaching not mixed with faith really is very powerless. It's powerless. You have to receive it. It's the doing, not the hearing, according to James chapter 2, that makes the preaching powerful. I want you to look at two verses with me on our fourth thing about warnings. Turn to 2 Corinthians and Galatians. If you just turn to those two, Pat, Galatians 1 and 2 Corinthians 11. We'll start with 2 Corinthians 11. They speak similarly about this warning. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4. For if he that cometh, I'll let you get there, 11.4. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which we have not received, or another gospel, which we have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. What's the problem here? Be careful that the preaching is godly doctrinal. Be careful of three things here. They said, be careful that somebody brings another Jesus. That's the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons. You be careful. All preaching's not the same. Be careful. They, they receive another spirit. That's the charismatic movement. So how do you know? Let me tell you, one of the times I was early in the ministry, I got invited to a confab. I don't even know how I got there. I was sitting with my pastor. We got all done. And there were every kind of stripe of people you might, might, might call religious. They all got together for a religious good, a good works cause in our community. And we all got together and stood up and we joined hands. And the charismatic guy stood forward and said, let's all sing, we are one in the spirit. I said, drop my hands. The guy right next to me was not a Christian. The other one was a Catholic over here, and I wasn't going to take his hand and say, we are one in the Spirit. We are not. We are not. They do not have the same Spirit. You be careful when you hear preaching, and somebody says, well, they're all preachers. They all preach. No, they don't. They have a different Spirit. They have a different Jesus. And the third thing, they have a different gospel. I think, you know, I've always known the social gospel and all the rest, but I think when we had our former president, President Obama, and he talked about he believed in the um, prosperity, not prosperity gospel. Somebody help me. Progressive gospel. You know what the progressive gospel is? Jesus came to feed people and to help them get out of their social problems and to build buildings for them and, and do the rest. And this is the gospel of the kingdom. That's the gospel of hell. That's the gospel of hell. That kind of gospel sends people straight to a burning hell and all the whole time nailing nails and feeding babies and pumping water into people and saying, boy, aren't we, aren't we doing something? And God says, depart from me. I never knew you. He says, be careful. 
that they don't preach another gospel. And in Galatians, look, I have you turn there. He says, be careful that they don't preach another gospel. This social gospel, this watered-down gospel, this, this progressive gospel, it's subtle. They talk about the same words. It sounds similar, but they don't preach the same Jesus. They don't preach the same message. So you be careful when you hear preaching. And KHCB is very guilty of having a good preacher backed up by the next guy. He ought to be banned from the waves, radio waves. You be careful who you listen to on the radio. Do you hear me? You be careful of the preaching you listen to on the radio. And it's not just KHCB. Let me tell you, KHCB is probably one of the more conservative. But you got to be careful. you got to be careful. So, conclusion. Despise not prophesying. So here's my list of thoughts for you. Am I despising preaching? So certainly I'm not pastor. I mean, I'm here tonight, but let me give you some ways that you could be despising preaching and you didn't even quite realize it. And you might need to just say, Lord, help me tighten up. Number one, you belittle a preacher after he's done. That was much message. That wasn't much. A teenager gets up and preaches a message. Uh, and it's one of those first, he takes the word of God and he's worked on it with all of his heart and he preaches. You say, man, that was a waste of time tonight. You be careful belittling the preaching of the word of God. When the word of God has been faithfully preached, you be careful of belittling the message and the messenger. Can I say that again? You be careful of belittling the message and the messenger. If the word of God's been preached, there's something you could learn. Number two, don't neglect the preaching. You can neglect it by not hearing it, going to sleep during the messages. Are you a person that falls asleep all the time during preaching? I've already picked on that tonight. You be careful. God, help me circumcise my ears. Circumcise my heart. Don't neglect it by not attending church. I, I preach this all the time. Listen, one of the big problems in America today is people are trying to jam church into this one-hour service. They even want to move it over to Saturday night so it's convenient sometime between 9 and 10 o'clock so they can have all Saturday, get in there a little bit of preaching, and then the next day they're all free. You be careful. You Keep the Lord's day, the Lord's day, and you get down to God's house and you hear the preaching of the word of God. Don't neglect the preaching of the word. Don't skip church. Don't plan to do other things on the Lord's day. You know, if you're stuck home during COVID, you don't plan to go out and do other things during the time that the preaching of the word. You ought to be listening. You ought to be listening Sunday morning and Sunday night, and you ought to be listening Wednesday night. Amen? I mean, is it hard? You've been there. Is it hard? But be careful not to neglect the Word of God. Don't plan to miss it. Plan to be it. You know, every once in a while, we'll have somebody get sort of new in the church, and they, I'm trying to reach out to my wife and I, and I say, hey, we'd like to have you over. We'd like to come over. What are you going to have? Steak will be right over. All right. We're going to have, okay, when would be a good night to look at their calendar? How about Wednesday night at 7.30? Nothing on your calendar? Oh, really? Well, let me add something on your calendar. It's called the preaching of the word, praying of the church. Listen, Christians, we need to not plan to be anywhere but under the preaching of the word of God. Where do you plan to be every Sunday night? Where do you plan to be every Sunday morning? 
I plan to be under the preaching all the days of my life till I can't be there anymore. And I've heard a lot of messages, but I plan to be under the preaching. And I plan not to neglect it. I'm going to give it my whole attention. I'm not going to daydream. I'm not going to let my focus go away. I'm going to preach it. Number three, am I, am I possibly despising preaching by not personalizing it? All the messages are for somebody else in my family. I don't think so. God brought you and sat you in that seat. The message is for you, buddy. Okay. It's for someone else. Oh, I'm so glad that so-and-so came. They needed that message. So did you. So did you. Number four, not responding when God speaks. That's called hardening your heart. How can I despise the word of God? By not responding. You know, we have a little system in our Christian school academy where if the students are not doing right, the teacher is supposed to, let's just say that Miss, Miss Morales isn't doing right and she's fiddling around. The teacher just sort of comes along and they just sort of tap on the side of the desk and they get their eyes attention. She understands that she needs to put away the pencils and the foolishness that she's doing or the tapping or the other thing that she's gotten out. And she understands and I understand. We have an eye contact. No words are spoken between us, but she clearly understands. Stop her little program and get with my program. Teacher goes on, walks around the room, and as soon as the teacher gets past her desk, out come the pencils and out come. She has just despised that teacher. She just didn't respond. You know, when God, in his grace, brings a message that talks to your heart and you shut it down over and over and over again, it's despising the prophesying. If God speaks, respond. Learn to have Let it come in. Lean into it. Put your hand up to your God. I desire you to speak to me. So it's possible that we go Sunday after Sunday and we know we should have responded, but we hardened up a little bit. And so we despise the preaching by not responding. Number five, we can avoid it. We can avoid it. You said, you said, you already talked about that up there, about neglecting. Can I tell you how people sometimes avoid preaching? I've been around a lot of pastors that get worried about somebody in their church that's always in junior church, always in the nursery, always on parking lot duty, always in the lobby, always counting the offering, but never in the preaching. Can I tell you as a pastor, unless you're winning somebody to the Lord or you're taking care of a disaster that's a really a disaster, the preaching trumps everything. And it's really easy to get backslidden at church. At church. Just volunteer for everything. I think one of the things, our church started 40-some years ago, and there was a family from Florida that came and helped us, and their mother came up to our church, and she was sitting, we're in the storefront talking. She said, I'm in this really good church, a really fundamental church, and she said, I haven't been in a church service in 20 years. She'd been watching the nursery for 20 years. 
First of all, shame on her pastor that he allowed that to go on. That was wrong. He was taking advantage of her. He, I think a pastor has a responsibility to make sure that if he sees that, he tries to stop it. She needed to be fed just like everybody else did. But can you imagine going to church for 20 years and you never heard a message? You were always holding babies in the nursery. Listen, you be careful to not neglect and avoid the preaching. Number six, don't diss the preaching. I don't like what he preached. Man, somebody ought to shut that preacher up. I don't want to hear that kind of preaching in our church. Be careful talking to other people in contradiction. You go out in the parking lot and you already start down the road and listen to me. I've had enough teenagers over the years come and say, what do I do when I get in the car and my mom and dad start in the preacher the moment they get in the car? We call that roast preacher, right? You be careful how you treat the preaching of the word of God. And here's the last thing, how I can possibly be the person that despises preaching. I just harden against it. I'm here, but I made up my mind before I ever walked through those double doors that no message was going to lay a glove on me tonight. You be careful. What should be our response? Respect the preaching. Respond to it. Remember it. Record it. Rejoice in it. Be revived by it. Return and repent to God by it. Despise not. Prophesy. Three little words, but a lot to it. Have you been guilty of minimizing downplaying the importance of the messages. Be careful. Let's bow our heads, please. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us to love your word and to love the preaching of it. Father, may you help me as a pastor to preach the word of God with power and authority in the Holy Spirit as we saw tonight. May that be the demonstration that comes forward from this pulpit. And Lord, may you override and work in my life if I'm ever the issue. But other than that, Lord, may you help our congregation to love the preaching, to lean into the preaching, to respect the preaching, to be glad for the preaching. In Jesus' name.